Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage, live outrage. from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time for Mortgage Matters. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another live show, live edition here of Mortgage Matters. It's 9.05 on this fine Saturday. Jason just made a really good point that we might need to rethink our intro. Things aren't that bad anymore. You have no idea how bad it is out there. No idea. Yeah, maybe we should redo it now about how good things are. You know, how many jobs are created? We could get one that's like... We made three million jobs last year. Bam. That'd be cool, huh, Jim? Can you mix one up for us? Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is Dan's... Um, What's wrong with you? Clothes. Well, his brand new headphones aren't working still, even though we charged him. The <laughs> lights are on. I know they're working, but... Uh, huh. maybe, I, maybe at the next commercial break, someone needs to show me how to use my headphones. I'm going to pause for a moment while I change these out. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh, it's not <laughs> fun. I don't fun mean fun. to laugh at you. I'm laughing with <laughs> you, although he doesn't appear to be Let laughing. Let me see if I can figure out out for you, Dan. Uh, just put on a pair of backups over there, and I'll see. You need to put on some soft background music while we have technical difficulty. <laughs> One of the hosts is unable to hear. <laughs> All of your music. And he puts on the $10 ones and can hear fine. Man, I'm taking those things back. <laughs> All right, let me see if I can get it for you. All right. All right. That's why we have an engineer in the studio. Yeah, he's a, the headphones expert. Too. Right. Well, what did you want to talk about today? I'm exhausted today. I <laughs> can I just say that? Did you have time to keep up with anything this week? It has been so busy for yesterday. A while. Yesterday after the, uh, well, it was pushing 7 o'clock when I finally decided I'd put together my show notes before going home, which marked like a 12-hour day at the desk and eating at the desk for lunch. For the fifth day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's insane how busy yeah. it is right now. And, you know, everyone I talk to is um, – well aware that interest rates are down. I haven't met <laughs> I haven't met anybody that's like, oh really? Everybody knows, and there's a handful of people that are coming out to refi, and we're very busy because of that. And you know, the other thing too is I think it's uh, the new year, so a lot of people that didn't do things for a few months are all showing up in droves. It's it's crazy busy, uh, but busy's good. I'm not complaining. I remember the days when it was not busy, so I always try to remind myself that. <laughs> well, our business is so cyclical, and you never know when it's going to be busy. So I, you have to take advantage when it is. And I want to tell you this, especially now that you have um, two young kids, uh, I finally get better at this sooner than I did. I finally, like, you know, even just a few months ago, things kind of slowed down, and I had a little bit less to do. And so I came in an hour late and I left an hour early and I told myself when it's like this, you have to enjoy it the same way that when it's, um, I just yeah. want to meet the first to announce that we have success with Dan's headphones. <laughs> nice. Right on. You have to show me the, the secret here in the break. 
But so, yeah, it's very much that it's like, I don't want to say feast or famine because thank God we haven't had the famine part of the cycle in a, a many a year now. But when it's a little bit slower, take some time to go out and have lunch at a restaurant or something. Yeah. Because these days are, are the, the busy ones where, my, what a week. But um, the good news is, is that, uh, well, not only will we be making lots of money because of how busy we are, but there is a lot of people that are getting new loans. And um, and honestly, some of the people that are showing up this time seem a little bit different than last time to me. For example, I put a couple loans on. Um, I put a couple loans on this week for a builder that is refinancing his investment property. Oh, few wow. of them can afford to, has the income to do it, has the equity to do it. Um, how long has it been since you've seen that? A builder able to just straight up qualify for a few uh, investment property loans that they're holding. So it's been a while. I'm Definitely. calling that a success. That feels new to me. Um, and then at the other end of the spectrum, too, I pre-qualified a young home buyer couple this week that are um, – Able to buy a house, they're going to buy a house with USDA in the North County. But um, collectively, they each make they each make three grand a month. Together, they make six thousand bucks a month, and they're able to buy a house. And I thought that's pretty cool. A three thousand dollar job isn't really that special, is it? So see some affordability spectrum. See some maybe uh, different people coming back to the market. This month in the um, what were you gonna say? Did I no, cut you off? No, no, you no. look like you had something good to say. <laughs> I was I was playing with my headphones. I'm just happy. Oh, I'm happy. <laughs> your headphones are working. But watch doing that. I'll explain it to you in the break. Okay. Watch uh, with your hand. You can't just face. say that over the air now. Tell us what happened. There's a button. There's a little button that's on your headphones that I think you're pushing when you mess with your headphones like that. Move it around. Oh. There's a little tiny button there. You may not know about. I don't know, but. That's we'll that's, talk more. Yeah, we'll talk in the break. Yeah. Okay. I just didn't want to leave everybody <laughs> hanging in suspense. We'll get back from the break and have 10 calls about what was the, what was the deal with the headphones? That's a, a real cliffhanger. Um, <clears throat> boy, but yeah. And then, um, it, and it's not all refinance business either. There's an awful lot of people that are buying homes right now. Yeah. I heard from some, some friends who live in the Morro Bay area. They, they've been renting, they own a restaurant and, their their landlords getting ready to to either change you know up their rent on them or, or boot them out for for I don't know it's one or the other but anyways they're they're realizing that they can afford to buy something for some for a payment that's fairly equivalent to what they could rent and so they're ready to just not have to be subject to their landlord's whims sometimes I forget what stats I share on the show versus which ones I give at the other meetings that I do. But um, one of them that we were talking about recently is um, how rents have gone up. And it, it it's always a problem in San Luis. The vacancy factor is just too low. It's too competitive. And, I mean, you, that can't be argued. There's nobody that could say otherwise. And consequently, it leads to higher rents. But that's not just here. I mean, there's some rental indexes that are suggesting that rents are the highest now that they've been in like eight years. And, um, you know, it's a, I think still just a sign of more to come. And so what an opportunity to get in and buy something where still the rents and the payment are, are pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. It's around here. The, even the, the 
areas outside of San Luis have really felt the impact of the school growing and the rental demand in slow. It's that overflow. The people can't find enough housing in slow, so it impacts the pricing in North County, South County, the coast. I mean, all the areas are feeling it. So... I'm a little bit out of touch with the rental market, but you know, from what I am told from my friends around slow, it's like a thousand bucks a bedroom now, which is pretty high. <laughs> That's a lot of money. If you think about that, four bedroom house in slow might rent for four grand a month. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> That's a lot was, of money. I was uh, talking about this with someone just kind of reflecting back on moving here in 1998, winter of 98. My first room that I rented was, was either three or $400. I think, I think it was like maybe three three fifty something like that. It wasn't the nicest room in the house. I moved here in ninety eight as well. Yeah, and I rented a three bedroom two bath house with two car garage in Los Osos, and it was through Manderley mm -hmm. before they found themselves with the goats, and it was um, nine hundred per month. Three hundred bucks a bedroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and and let me just tell you, I feel like one of those old dudes going back, you know, back in aught four. But the thing is, is that um, that was very expensive to me at the time. That was that was yeah. a lot of money. Oh yeah, and and Mel and I were married. We took on a couple roommates to help float that gap. I mean, we did that through most of college, but um, it was from where I came from, you could rent a house that size for like four hundred bucks a month. So. It so felt now, a lot more expensive to so me. So now that rents during that time period, about 15 years, get plus or minus, have, have tripled roughly, is that just the rental market or is that goods in general? Um, I mean, I always have the tri-tip quotient. Which, <laughs> but hey, I was... 375, 375 for a Firestone tri-tip. I was talking to Darnell the other day and I said that too. You're going to have to talk to him about this because he says no. That the lowest he was there from opening day, and the lowest the tri-tip sandwich ever was was four seventy-five, and I'm like, Darnell. Pretty sure it was three seventy-five. Yeah, Pretty and then sure. and then once he said that, and he was so, um, I mean, he's super confident about anything he tells you about. <laughs> he was so sure that I was like, well, I'm wrong, no problem. But then uh, I started thinking, maybe, maybe what I'm remembering was that. Um, well, because the other good option in town, like, you know, for a decent little student meal was Kona's. You could get a foot long. Like, their whole sandwich was like three eighty five. dollars yeah, It was a $4 <laughs> sandwich. Yeah. It was like, yeah. I remember going to that Hygera Street shop and thinking, how can they afford to be in business selling $4 sandwiches? 30, 30 <laughs> cents an inch, man. <laughs> It was insane. Yeah. And if you were broke, you could get, you know, the six incher and it was like, it was less than that. It was like three bucks or two something, you know, yeah, uh, plenty cheap. But yeah, so the good news though is that everybody's wages have tripled since then too. <laughs> right. That's but the price of the sandwich has tripled since then. Yeah. Too, well, right? and <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it completely it, has. I mean, a tri-tip sandwich now at Firestone is pushing bucks. 10 bucks. Yeah. And then, you, like yesterday, I got a sandwich. If you get a sandwich from Kona's, if you bought a foot-long sandwich from there, which I don't think grown-ups actually do, you can't eat that whole big thing. But um, it's like 10 bucks, you know? I, it, yesterday, the takeout lunch I got yesterday was from the Broad Street Grinder Shop. We grabbed sandwiches from there. and Oh, it was 12 bucks for a sandwich. Those are good sandwiches. It was good. They were out of the French bread, though. Oh, I like the sourdough. That's what I got as a backup. I was sad about it. <laughs>
So yeah, everything's tripled, even wages, huh? Totally. <laughs> I wish. I don't. I don't think that's true, man. No, from what, in fact, from what I read and what I hear, they're true. actually about the same. They're about the same as they were <laughs> in like the year two thousand. Right. Which is pretty close to what we're talking about. Which is kind of a good segue into one of the bigger news events. Relatively quiet news week all week long, but I think you know we can all agree the the biggest thing that happened was Tuesday, the State of the Union address. And the call for helping the middle class, not something new. You know, obviously everyone has different theories on how to help the middle class. I don't think anyone would argue that the middle class needs to be stronger than it is right now. Seems like we're getting the, what do we call it, the barbells? We're getting right. the, the rich and the poor and the middles kind of fading away. Well, aren't, aren't we led to believe that that's the, the only condition of capitalism? What do you mean? Can can there be like a strong middle class in capitalism? I thought you barbell out to the point until it breaks and then you have to like reform your government into some new system where things are a lot more fair. Has that happened before? To I don't know. societies? Well, I mean, I, I, <laughs> sure. I, I don't know that like as a as a particular rule, there's a, uh. an example of it. But does, that's what happens, though. Once the table gets slanted in the favor of the people with so much money, I mean, you go, you go back, start looking at, you know, the last few years who accumulated wealth, the lower and middle class didn't accumulate very much wealth. The upper class people made a ton more money. Again, they did. All their investments have paid off. The real estate that they hold in their commercial buildings are, are crazy. Uh, so yeah, it there is a there is a big disparity there. Did you enjoy the State of the Union? I actually it was on my on my to do list, but um, no, I didn't watch it. I watched some of the highlights of it. I didn't even get to watch. It. I read about it, but yeah, I didn't get to watch it. Um, it sounded like, as far as things that are relevant to our our show and our business, there wasn't a whole lot. I was going to be stuff. hip and cool and watch it on YouTube. You know, they put... A, <laughs> I, I did hear that. They yeah. put a live feed of it on YouTube that you could watch, like, at the time. And um, I just was too busy. Came on during the workday. I mean, the things that seemed to be relevant to, to mortgage and home ownership and things were, you know, talking about the FHA changes, again, the reduced mortgage insurance, which is a big deal for, for home buyers and people who are already in existing F FHA loans or who got FHA loans in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. There's a great opportunity for folks to, with FHA now. Um, but really, I mean, it, it all seems to come back to the same things we've been talking about for like six years, comprehensive tax reform been doing a lot of talking haven't seen it i know on friday there was a lot of buzz about the 529 plans did you hear about that uh -uh. talking about taxing 529 plans the whole the whole deal with 529s is you put in after-tax money for your children's college and then it can be taken out the earnings the growth on the account can be um tax-free and you can take those monies out to pay for qualified education expenses tax-free. So did, the, real quick before you say what you're about to say, <laughs> I just got to ask. We've had about two years now of some strong belly aching over student loans and how expensive they are, how they're destroying young people. Right. Yep. The forcing millennials to stay at home now that they've graduated because they can't afford to to go buy a house because they're straddled in student loan debt, which, by the way, is like one of the only debts... In fact, it might be the only that you can't 
BK out of? Yeah. The only debt that there's just no getting out of. You make a you make the bad decision to go to medical school and then come out the other side and decide you don't like blood or something. You're that's it for you. You have those. And so that being the case, being the center of a lot of conversation for the last couple of years, now we want to tax the people that disincentivize ahead. Yeah. I know it seems it seems weird. So the rationale is that that there's some like fourteen billion dollars or something in five twenty nine plans in the country. Seventy percent of those five twenty nine assets are owned by people who earn two hundred thousand dollars annually or more per year, and. So basically, the the theory is is that it's it's the whole redistribution of wealth argument. You know, it's I mean that's the one of the the. Anyways, we get we'll get political. When we go yeah, there. But it's what it, that's the idea behind it is is that the rich are taking advantage of the five twenty nine, whereas the the middle class, the the fading middle class and the lower income class is not that vehicle isn't benefiting them. They don't have the excess funds to put into it. Um, so in tandem with that, there's a proposal to increase some education tax credit for earners up to $180,000 per year. So basically, there's this transfer, you know, they're going to tax the earnings on, on, you know, the people making over 200 who put into that plan and, and give it to the people who make less than 180. Hmm. So it's kind of interesting. I guess there was a lot of speculation. There was a lot of discussion about it and a lot of... Um, people thinking that it wasn't likely to pass what a divide coincidentally i'm currently thinking about opening a 529 plan what a divide the people that make fifteen thousand dollars a month are going to get a little bit of an incentive whereas the people that are making 17 you need to pay so i just if you make seventeen thousand, go quickly ask for a slight decrease so your kid can get a scholarship <laughs> right. now you know the the thing about it that frustrates me is that um college is very expensive and everybody knows it these tax codes i mean it seems to me that everybody should be incented to go to school um and yeah Anyway, we I don't want to get political about I'm about to get political on you. I don't want to get political. It's Saturday morning. That's not a day for politics. But then they were even saying, you know, what happened to comprehensive tax reform? This is carving up the tax code even more by doing that. Just making it more complicated. Yeah. It's such a mess. I want to see taxes go away. Like the as we know it, this whole cheating I, game. The cheating just, game. Just take home what you earn and just yeah, and then I think on what you buy, whatever uh, you buy. Yeah, yeah, you know what, Mister Hotshot, if you need a, you know, a, however many million dollars those jets are that are filling up the Swiss airports, those are going to be you're going to pay a lot of money when you buy that, and then consequently, other dude that just had to go buy a ten year old you know minivan for four grand, you're getting off a little bit lighter, pal. You obviously you're in another class. If you're going to eat at Whole Foods and get a $25 a pound ribeye, sign up for your tax right there at the register. That's your your piece of it. And then for the guy that's going to eat the $2 you know, a pound eye of round roast, that guy gets a little bit of a break. It separates itself. We don't need to have all the fancy accounting and then lying. I, that's a thing that trips me out. And 
I'm in the business here where we have we review people's financial guts thoroughly, so we see everybody's tax returns. And I see I for years now I see so many tax returns. The games that are played on tax returns are laughable. There's no way that one of the the lawmakers in this country can look at the uh, the tax returns of the average citizen and say this is right or fair or working. It's not. I remember during the last presidential election cycle when, um, you know, during that time, everything about you as a presidential candidate gets exposed. And so tax returns were one of the things. And both presidential candidates make significantly more than I do. And both of them are pay a lower percentage <laughs> of tax than I the do. The overall effective tax rate. <laughs> yeah, the effective tax rate is lower. And that right. just doesn't seem fair to me. It's not fair, but dude, they can afford way better accountants and tax attorneys oh, and man. way more corporations than you can afford. Yeah. It's, it's sad. That's really sad. I want some corporations. The only thing about, I don't remember a lot about those numbers. They, I remember the same thing. I remember Effective what? tax rate was 16%. I was like, 16 I remember what? 17% was wrong. Are you kidding me? That's like, and I got mad about that. I was so mad about that. And then, oh you know, but then I kind of like. right now thinking about it. Yeah, but then, but then he he gave like five or six million dollars or something to charity. I know, I know. And you and think so about I'm the like, total okay, dollar. Well, you think about the total dollar of tax paid, and it's significant. He paid a lot more than you paid. Yeah, but the percentage shouldn't the percentage match? Shouldn't it, it be sh the same? It should really all be the same. <laughs> I don't know. Well, and you know, it obviously needs some work. No, I don't think anyone's happy about it. You pull, <laughs> you pull any political party. No one's, no one's really stoked about the tax rate. No. The tax code and if any if anybody out there is pretty excited about it um who's paying extra because i'm pretty sure you can write in and give a little more you're happy where it's going and how it's being used i don't know the, but that thing about the tax thing and all that for real though as it hits home for me is like you know I make too much money for my my kids aren't going to get the full-blown you know financial aid packages that you know, their parents who earn less money do. But as a single income family of five, at one point, I'm going to have two kids in college. I don't have the ability to pay two or three or four or $5,000 a month, whatever it's going to cost for that to happen. So it's that part of it's frustrating. And then for those purposes, they want to keep your, um, they want to keep your kid on your, you, you know, evaluate your tax returns for your kids financial aid future and i think that's a problem for a lot of kids too whose parents are solidly middle class they're forced to get a lot of student loans that they're going to end up having to pay back and they weren't eligible for the student aid that other people would have had but the reality is their family's not in a position to give them thousands of dollars a month to go to school i'm going to send my kids to community college where they can get two years for free I decided to not not pay for college for my kids. I figured if they're smart, they're going to get scholarships. And if they're not, they don't need to go to college. <laughs> Is that flawed logic? I guess. <laughs> I you, you want it Wait, to be. Dead air there. <laughs> no, I... I that's not true. I'm going to encourage them to do what they want to do. But at the same time, I don't think there's anything wrong with learning a trade. 
No, I agree. And, and if, that's the problem, And if too. any of my kids want to be an electrician or be a plumber or be mm-hmm. a roofer, um, anything that a mechanic, whatever mm-hmm. it is that is that piece of working with your hands that, by the way, is never going away. That's never going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And if you want to do that, it's an honest day's work. Fairly and, recession-proof, too. Yeah. And and the other thing is that there's there's no shame in that. And there's plenty of money in it, especially if you become a businessman, you know, where you're not just working for somebody else, but you own your own plumbing truck. I, I, wanna, I would rather give my kids a... You know, in the big picture, 50 or 80 or $100,000 to help them start a business that, mm-hmm. you know, they could run and thrive in and, and find a, a way really to be self-sustaining instead of throw a hundred grand down the college hole. Because don't you end up in the same boat when you get out of yeah. college? Yeah. You got to go figure that out. You're either going to work for someone else or work for yourself. And either way, it's hard. Yeah. So I do. There's a ton. I'm a college graduate. I'll tell you, there's a ton of benefit in going to college. I'm glad I did. But at the same time, I'm I'm wanting in my household. I'm I'm celebrating the fact to them that there ain't nothing wrong with being in the trades. Mm-hmm. There's no problem with it, and it's it's a good option. And we that's one I, I hate to say, it, but when we do budget cuts in the education and high schools and the colleges and stuff like that, those are some of the first programs to get cut. And there's a lot of kids that are not. I mean, it's not that they aren't, they're stu- I don't want to say they're stupid. They're not stupid, right? but they don't want to go to college. They want to, they want to be a mechanic. They want to right. be a plumber. They well, want to passion, do construction. If you have a passion for something like that, it's not all about making the most money. It's exactly. about doing something That's that what you they want, want to, to wake up to and do every day. And they want <laughs> to do that. There's a, and there's nothing wrong with it. Right. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. Well, when I was in high school, actually, I'm not, mm. I'm not even ashamed to yeah. admit it, but I didn't, I I had a loud mouth and so I didn't do well in the classroom. I got in trouble a lot. I was sent out of the classroom a lot. I was probably, you know, whatever, however you want to psychoanalyze that part of it. But problem was, is that I didn't do well in that class. And then consequently that otherwise a lot of the classes were just so much busy work, you know, hey, go write all this stuff. And so Mm -hmm. I found myself disinterested in a lot of that. And I did even the trade classes in high school. I did I did ceramics, I did welding, I did auto shop, yeah. I did wood shop. Yeah. Um, when everybody was signing up for algebra two, I took business math, where they showed you how to like do P&Ls and balance checkbooks and do this other stuff that was a bit more practical. And that made more sense to me. But I'll say at the time, I think I did a lot of that stuff because I was a corner cutter. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do the hard work. And, you know, the teacher doesn't make you go home and weld for two hours. Like you go do exactly. your welding at the end of the day, you're yeah. done. And so I took that over one of the classes where I'd have to do so much extra busy work. <laughs> but by the end of it, then mm-hmm. I'd learned an awful lot about things. I mean, I could still go sit down and, and weld some stuff today. I also can do the brake job on my own car. There's a lot of things I know about having learned that stuff. And I'm thrilled to have done that. And yeah, the, at the, my high school now, they've stripped out most all of those classes that mm-hmm. the kids don't get that because there's budget cuts. They, they can't afford to have the welder or have the, the wood shop teacher because they chose you know, to add somebody else to the the more academic staff or something. And I think that's pretty disappointing. Another one is FFA. With the kids, you know, they want to be in ag, learn how to raise animals, which is great because the rest of us eat that way, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that's not necessarily something that you have to go to college for. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, it's time for a commercial break. Uh, it's 9.32. We are, yeah, it's a live show. We got a break to do. We got another hour and a half to go. I actually did um, pull up a handful of other things I want to talk about, and I wanted to schedule some time today to do another little bank rant. Can we do that? Yeah, we can, because I get a microphone. Hey, guys, we're going to do commercial break. We'll be back in a couple more minutes uh, with more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. We recently made the jump to direct lender. That's right. Now we can do your loan in-house, but we still broker too. We choose based on getting the best loan terms for you. We don't know what to call it yet, but you'll call it amazing. Refi or refinance home, just call 7 presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change. Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Is this disco or 80s? It is. Is this disco music? Yeah, well, it's madness. <laughs> Our house, madness. Huh. This was a theme song for a show. Hmm. Remember that? That's uh, fun. I got a phone, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, there's some housing data, other little things I want to talk about. Um, let's see here. This I thought was an interesting one. What do you got? Well, I just have remember remember at the when we started this show and you know 
the whole world economy was struggling and Europe took one approach of austerity. A lot of the European countries took to austerity measures as, as a means to solve the economic woes. And we chose stimulus. The United States chose stimulus packages, bailing out large companies, bailing out insurance companies, buying treasuries and, and mortgage-backed securities. And we were wondering, in the long run, what's going to be the smartest move? Who's going who's gonna to win this race to re the road to recovery? Um, well, just this week, the European Central Bank announced that they're going to be introducing a bond buying program <laughs> to buy mortgage-backed securities. Yeah, I saw that. Mario, Mario Draghi, which is the equivalent of Janet Yellen, um, announced an expanded asset purchase program where they'll buy 60 billion euros per month through 2016 or until they see a marked improvement. And I thought, QE3. <laughs> how excellent that they got to watch us do QE1. Well, I mean, that was just quantitative easing, the first round, right? Then two was like, eh, it didn't work. Throw some more at it. And then three was like, the problem was we gave them an end date. And so they, they played on that. And so now this new one's just open-ended. And it all went on for years and years. They have the benefit now of seeing that's the one you want to do. <laughs> Just start throwing a lot of money at it and tell them you're not going to stop until you see some inflation and you see some growth in your economy and some job growth. Let's take a quick time out because we have a caller who I'm, they may be calling about what we were talking about before. We got Marilyn on the line. Marilyn Hi. from San Luis. Good morning. How are you guys? Very good. Good. I was thinking when you were talking about the trades and I think that's excellent to go into. I just played a plumber lately. So. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> not cheap, is it? And then my question is, if you had one of your children graduating from high school who says, I want to go into the loan management field, yeah, how did they do that? What are your qualifications? What did you have to do? And what do you see in the future of that profession? That's a great question, and I'll tell you, um, first of all, when, when I got out of college, I, and it's probably because we're in kind of a college town, but the owners of the first company that I worked for, um, there was a lot about them that I didn't like or agree with, but one of the smartest thing was is that they, they took smart, fresh Cal Poly grads and threw them into the mortgage business. And, um, and I'll tell you that... About half of the employees there were college graduates and the other half weren't. And whether it was – and I and this sort of goes on to the next few companies that I worked for too. The college kids managed managed their departments or managed the company, I could tell. And the, the just the high school kids kind of – um, did the the busy worker jobs and didn't make as much money and I and I don't I I think that is normal in our industry and and I don't mean to say that to discourage everyone and say that college is the only thing you have to do because ironically there isn't really a mortgage major there isn't no. and you there's know, no college level requirement to get into the mortgage no. business on the operation side you probably have more opportunity on the sales side. Sky's the limit. It's about how hard you want right. to work, how your networking skills are, yeah. how motivated you are. And, you know, so it, it's one of those things where there's not a perfect answer for it. But 
I would I would venture to say that um, somebody that goes to college is just like having another job for five more years. How diverse was the job? What kind of skills did you pick up? You know, all that kind of thing. And so I think maybe in the beginning, the, the college graduate kids were a step ahead, at least in terms of the job. But if you want to work in the mortgage business, um, I, most people and you can advance well through it just by you get in and work hard start you usually start in the mailroom equivalent kind of like setting up the loans and you make the copy packages and you do the busy work and before too long you start to be able to get involved in being a, a junior underwriter or drawing the docs or working in the funding department, some of those little jobs. And, and really, if you like it, which obviously we decided after working at our first mortgage job that it was to be a career um, because it's exciting and it's fast paced and it's challenging and you can, you know, you can certainly make enough money to take care of yourself that doing those jobs is just about growing your skill set and all the different little bits. And somebody could do that well here in town. I think probably in any town in America, I think it's a fantastic business. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm not just, I'm not just biased because this is what I do. I really do feel like I believe in myself and I think I could do anything. I'm happy in the mortgage business. I like it. And I think it's a, a great option for many people. And it's funny, Marilyn, that you asked that because my, my oldest son, who's um, just a couple years now from high school, he's he tells me, I mean, he we have a great relationship and he definitely respects me, as do I him. And he says, I can't, I could never do your job. I cannot sit behind a desk all day, every day. And every time we talk about it, that's his big concern. He says, well, how can you, I mean, how can you do like yesterday you sat at your desk for 12 hours? How can somebody do that? And, you know, so I know for him, that's a big constraint. So I think that's another thing too, is can, does somebody have that attention span to be sitting there pounding behind the computer screen or behind a desk or something for that all day, every day, sometime for your entire week, you know, other people need to get out and be in the sun. So it's a big personality thing. Are you certified by the state and do you take like <laughs> annual tests yeah, or? I have a, like me personally, I have a, a California um, Bureau of Real Estate. Now it used to be the Department of Real Estate, but I have their broker's license. That's the highest license you can get there. And um, there's there's a every four years there's education requirements yeah. that you have to meet and then the license can get yeah renewed. you have to you have to do I think I had to do like it's forty hours yeah I had to do eight different courses and then pass all the tests and then take the test to get my license initially and then I renew it every four years and you have to do it's twenty hours of continuing education I think every four year period. Then in tandem to that, I have a mortgage loan originator's license, which you have to pass a national test and state test for. And those are complete with credit check, background check. I mean, as we're advising people about their finances and and getting to see your your maiden name your social security number your home address all those things where you know you wouldn't want just anybody seeing that so they're actually pretty good about making sure that we are um, you know ethical and you're not allowed to have any kind of a criminal record or you know most most of that kind of stuff and then that renews every single year so that has an eight hour a year continuing education requirement and you retest for that um, annually. And, and then on top of that, there are Dodd-Frank compliance requirements for 
annual education and testing, um, training and testing for all of our loan officers. So there's three different education components that are you know periodic, and then two different regulatory bodies. Yeah, and, and there's a lot. And I'll say a lot of that is thanks to Dodd Frank. Actually, three different regulatory bodies. I did read, however, though, that there are several banking schools that are popping up now. And wow. it's going to be more of a focus in college in coming years to give kids an opportunity to go get a certificate in, in like banking, where they'll learn about the sales aspect, but also the doc drawing and funding and credit analysis and all that kind of thing. So in, in coming years, hopefully that'll be a little bit um, more substantial than it is. Or well, you guys have been a wealth of information, and I bet most of your audience doesn't know all this. Yeah. Right <laughs> so, on. Thank you, Marilyn. And I thank you for responding. All right. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. What was I? We were talking about the um, the European oh, yeah. decision to start a, a, a quantitative easing like program for for an economy that's really been struggling since the recession. I mean, they they tried some different moves with with austerity, which is more of a a hard line, you know, spend within your means kind of kind of move, and it and it didn't pull them out, at least not at the not to the degree, degree they wanted, not at the pace that they were hoping for. So now they're looking at, at how America has recovered economically and thinking that, you know, maybe we made the right decision back in 2008 and, and around that time. I, I just want to say real quick, though, it, we may have made a good decision in doing it, but the the whole puzzle is not yet built, I was though, say, because I don't we, think the experiment have a, is done yet. we have a bunch of debt. Right, a crazy amount of debt. I, I think the experiment is far from over. Um, what I do think this means in the short term, though, is that with our, with European countries, you know, doing the stimulus to keep interest rates low, um, it's going to force our hand into keeping our interest rates lower, maybe even a, a little bit lower, longer than we than our economy. I was going to say, even then you want to. Yeah, then we want it's to. It's a think, drag on us. Yeah, we. I mean, I think right now, domestically, inflation is is probably the biggest component for us keeping rates low. We still want to spend to try to generate some inflation. We want to prevent deflation. But once maybe that starts to accelerate, that inflation, the the European countries, our, our economic allies, our allies in a lot of different ways, are are keeping their interest rates low and we don't want to separate ourselves too far from where where they are yep it'll put them yeah. at a big disadvantage i keep thinking in in some regards it's kind of like the u.s because we did it first and we did it um with some at least immediate success like i said i think getting out of the debts the next probably uh, equally big component of this but um it's kind of like having kobe bryant on the high school basketball team and the other team is just all high school kids it that you really do need everybody to be up at the level and you need we need as a country the global economy can't be lagging behind and creating a drain where they're all at zero percent interest rates and we're ready for interest rates that are higher um but interestingly enough and, and gas becomes a really complicated part of this, too, because as you guys are well aware, the plummeting value of a, a barrel of oil here is destroyed a lot of um, 
cities, counties, states, and now countries. There are whole economies now that are wounded because of the gas prices. And here for us, um, you missed it because you weren't here last week, but two weeks ago, um, the the news was dominated by those three indexes. The um, import prices, producer price, and consumer price index were all down. Even when you excluded food and energy were down. Right. Um, and so those th- that sort of, I think, right now is it, we were so close to getting some inflation. I think we were close to finally meeting that objective of the feds. And now that it's costing less to produce anything and and even for you to go consume i mean everything's costing less that drives the value of goods down which ultimately starts to pave the way for the opposite of inflation um and so it's one of these things where we're we're now going to figure out how to wrangle this farther our our feds have said that rates might go up as soon as june and as i keep looking around and every month we get one close one month closer to june I'm not. I'm not convinced at all that our that we're going to be able to do that in June because that's just that phenomenon that you're going to be pushing yourself out ahead of what the other countries' opportunities are. And then I kind of started wondering though, would would that maybe help some of these other countries if if buying into the U.S. bond market, you know, was going to be a higher yield? higher price, a little bit, you know, more stable, would some of that money go into these other places? I don't know. My gut tells me that we're going to have to keep our economy sort of held under while we let the other ones get their ability to cruise on. Because, you know, every time it gets rocky overseas, the investors dump all their money to the safe place, the U.S. market. And I mean, that's clearly what's been happening. We got the 10-year yield is down to like 1.8 or something this week because, there are other countries around the world that are getting rocked because of oil and a good place to stick it is over here for us where um, the country as a whole isn't being hammered because of the price of oil. If anything, it means people are probably going to be able to go out and spend more and do more uh, with their extra money. They're not throwing down their gas tank or more importantly into their heating oil like back east and stuff. Those are major expenses that now mm-hmm. those people are going to have that money. Well, you're, you're saying, Jason, and I was actually a little bit bummed because I was in Oxnard the other day. And I, I hate to say it, I was actually a little bit bummed because I saw gas at 227 a gallon at, at one of the stations down there. And I thought, ah, I'll just get it tomorrow. And I was bummed because I got it the next day and it was 233. I was <laughs> like, really? I mean, you know, I mean, last year at this time, it was like four something almost. Okay, but but let me let me put that into context for you and everyone else too. Um, yeah. Your car holds fifteen yeah, gallons of gas, and that five cent change cost you seventy five cents. I so know. I know. Take a breather, buddy. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> I, was I could have bought it at two twenty seven a gallon. I would have saved the whole seventy cents. I know. The but. big news is the good news is is that it's less it's about half of what yeah. it cost you a few years ago. So that's that's the real savings. But. You should have laughed that hey man that used to cost me 100 bucks today it cost me 50. Thank God for that. I'll pay the extra 75 cents with a smile. Yeah, but my point on that is though too is that that drop in gas if it stays like that maybe it'll help the uh, tourism industry it'll help maybe i don't know maybe that even the cost like agriculture 
not costing so much to get the stuff to the stores. Let's hope so. I don't know. In in terms of though, what's going on with the economy? Um, it's it's not just all a complete bowl of cherries though. A couple headlines I saw in here: um, Citibank announced that it's going to close sixty branches this year. Wow. Yeah, if you bank at Citibank, look out. And one of the th- and that's not just due to the economy. Citibank is planning to close out of its like the town branches and move everything over into its um like big hub in a big urban um a larger urban city center type of place. So I we feel don't like have Citibanks around. Is that a is that a retail there's a city, depository? There's Citibanks around here. Are there? Yeah, um, I think most like of them card. are just a little like ATM though. Hmm. But yeah, and, and that's why I said um, budget a little bit of time for a uh, a bank rant here. But it's surprising to me that people are still banking with those big banks. And um, and I thought we'd take the opportunity to say that I wanted to just share my experience with banking at Heritage Oaks Bank here in town, um, and. They're a bank that's an an option for you if you're banking at one of the the big evil five. This is a bank that offers everything that you need out of one of those big banks, but with the local, um, it's local jobs. And and honestly, I just we'll start there. When they close these branches to move into their bigger, um, larger urban city centers, those are jobs that are leaving here. Um, and no matter where here is for you, um, I think that's the threat of working with big non-local companies is that it, it allows them to be able to um, take jobs and put those services elsewhere. Uh, there's no reason here. Um, oh, yeah, look, the Citibank branch in Slow is going to close in March. Actually, it's um, that one they're showing there is a Tascadero. Oh. And there's one in Paso Robles, apparently. Oh. Yeah. So in any, ca- in any case, you know, point being, if you're, wor- if you're banking at Citibank, you're about to lose your bank, um, the local branch anyway, between Atascadero and Paso Robles, that's a great opportunity to go explore one of the local banks where that's not going to happen. Um, Heritage Oaks is, they're sound, they're a great bank. We do online banking with them. You can do anything that you need to do. I got an app on my phone for Heritage Oaks Bank. I can literally, you know, transfer some money from my savings in my checking account when I'm in line at Costco. You know, you know what I like? Huh? Oh, do they have the take a picture of your check feature? Where I don't you can know. Do the mobile deposits? I don't know. I've never done that. But I can I don't... do that with my credit union. Yeah. I can take a picture. I don't have to go to ATMs anymore. That's pretty cool. Yeah. There's a limit on that, though, right? It's a... Yeah, it's like $5,000. Oh, a that's day. still quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Who gets checks for more than five grand regularly? You do. From who? What? <laughs> no, you don't. Unless it's like your payroll check or something. <laughs> But that you know, and that was the other reason too. Like we we opened up a business account at Heritage, so I'm getting a good view of how they function with you and your business accounts. And then um, I went ahead and opened up a personal account there too, and so I know what it looks like from that side too. It's a cool bank. I like it. I don't. Other than that, and we could be wrong. They might do that check picture thing. I don't know, um, but. There, other than that, I can't imagine that you're lacking much of the the service or um, other opportunities that you might get out of a big commercial bank. Agreed. Uh, 
I like the local banks too. And you know, that's a kind of a little bit of a double-edged sword for us, for me to be like touting them too. Cause <laughs> they compete with us. Yeah, they do. They do home loans and um, sometimes they're a, a good competitor to us. Sometimes we can beat them pretty easy, but uh, you know, all in all, I, you're not going to have, I'm not going to say anything bad about them. I think about another local bank, Founders Community Bank. Mm-hmm. They, they recently, well, maybe in the last couple of years, opened a branch out in Morro Bay and I had an opportunity to speak with the, the branch manager there. And what I, what really struck me about that branch opening was was the desire to, you know, they don't really do residential lending; they do more commercial and SBA lending. And their desire to reinvest in the community in which they're located. Right. Um, you know, they they want to help businesses get going. They want to fund that. Well, you SBA say that real estate purchase. You say that, but. I mean, knowing full well, the board of Founders Oaks, uh, Founders Bank are people that live here. Right. <laughs> They're the, the people that are making those decisions of where do we put our emphasis and what do we do? Their, their kids are going to school with our kids. They're, they are local to our area. So that investing in that company and doing business with that company puts that benefit back into the community tenfold. Um, that is really important. When you bank at Chase or you bank at Citibank or you bank at Bank of America, nobody on that board is on your kid's soccer team, you know, and they don't, they're not making decisions based on what's going on in Slow County. All they care, in my estimation of it, is about the P&L of the branch that's in the state, in the city, that they, you know, is no more important to them than any other branch in any other city. So... I really enjoy having a local bank and knowing that those people are people in the community and they do, they care. I mean, they're, they care about everything they do because they are a part of our local community. And I, I think that's very powerful under that same little job cutting part. I also learned that, um, American express is cutting 4,000 jobs this year. Um, uh, Maybe people are just using less credit cards, and that's not a bad thing. Um, been years since I had an American Express card. I have one, but it's hit or miss on who takes it. Yeah, that's eh. why I don't even care that I don't have one it's anymore. It's just easy. Everyone takes a Visa or MasterCard. Yep. And then um, eBay. Do you remember eBay? Yeah. eBay is going to lay off 2,400 people. Hmm. Um, I can't believe that like Amazon just didn't figure out how to buy eBay or something. Maybe they did. Maybe that's what the maybe they're laying the people off to position themselves for their Amazon, you know, acquiring them piece. Who knows? But yeah, so in, so I kind of bring those things up though to put it into context is that there's a couple we just so much focus on job growth. There's a few household names there that are going to shed a lot of jobs this year. So maybe it's not all a bowl of cherries yet. There was some other housing news this week, things that we're going to talk about after the break. So stick around. Go get some fresh coffee. Do what you got to do. We'll be back in about five minutes for another hour of Mortgage Matters. Stick around. tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. It's a million 
All right, everybody, welcome back. Thanks so much for being with us. Hey, I wanted to give a quick little notice to a good friend, good friend of the radio station, too. I don't know if you even know this, okay. Jim. Uh, John Hansen. Yes. Former El Dorado employee. Now he's out on his own, running exactly. his own big business, and you know, still represents us in our in our media purchase here at El Dorado. He mm -hmm. uh, he got engaged this last week. Awesome, John. Yeah. Congratulations. So I don't know if he's listening, but congratulations to John. Congratulations. Yeah. Yes. I Facebooked him congratulations. Did you? And to the girl, what were you thinking? I, you know, I, I still am scratching my head over, over that, but that's okay. not, that's not fair though. That's not fair. People could probably say that Sounds about my guy. wife, you know, and they do. And I'll only, and, they do. and I'll only say that maybe like so many people when it's just the two of them, he's the perfect mate. They are, you know what they're, they've got a lot of common, common interests and things. So it's uh, good for him. Yeah. I'm really, really happy for him. There, and as my old man <clears throat> says, there's a nut for every bolt. So he found his nut. <laughs> They're crazy together. I don't actually know her very well. I feel like I know John reasonably well. And I, I'm pumped for him, too. Getting married's a fun thing. Spousing up with somebody. Having a, having a partner. When I when I got married when I was young, um, people that know me know that. But I was, I was like, I was like 19 years old when we were engaged, and I was talking to my dad. I went to kind of ask my dad for the fatherly advice. Dad, thinking about proposing to Melanie, and my dad said he kind of like made this face, like, oh my god, he like, because I have like an older brother that wasn't even close to that. And I don't even think he was in a relationship at the time. And my dad was just kind of made this face like, whoa. And then he said, well, son, there's a lot of crap in life you got to go through. And you may as well go through it with someone. <laughs> so romantic. But, you know, it's kind of true. You get a little... Got a little wingman for any of life's encounters. All the good, all the bad, all the everything you got. That wasn't the piece of advice I thought you were going to say. No? <laughs> <laughs> You've been, I, I think your dad's full of, of little nuggets of wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, true. <laughs> Uh, okay. Um, there's some other things here that I thought were worth talking about. Um, check this one out here's an interesting one um dan you brought up dodd frank earlier i did and yeah. dominating the industry news all of the things i read that are written for people in the mortgage business i keep hearing all about this uh the cfpb right the consumer finance protection bureau oh i've heard of them indeed you have <laughs> Uh, and responsible for implementing some licensing things, um, making sure that companies are staying up to date on their policies and procedures and all the compliance training and all the stuff. Um, and I, I get a kick out of a lot of the things that I read about, um, oh, remember when the CFPB was just a little startup? <laughs> they were in one small startup. office. <laughs> now they, they're like, they've sort of found themselves in a position of like, unilateral control over most anything they desire that d d deals in anything in money a startup 
Yeah. <laughs> can, can you really call a, a government agency a startup? But dude, they were <laughs> <It's> small. <like laughs> right. Now they employ thousands of people. They've got a budget that's better than the GDP of some small countries. They've got far-reaching power into most any industry. If there's anything to do with money or finance, they're there. Um, and so I, I was reading about this CFPB's investigation of... Um, Wells Fargo retail loan officers in 18 different branches. Did you see this article? Mm -mm. Pretty fascinating. Um, so this is back east. This isn't here locally for us, but um, Wells Fargo going to get a little bit of a black eye for this because more than 100 loan officers in 18 different branches said that these loan officers referred thousands of loans to a title company um, for kickback. And what's wild is that the CFPB says that Wells Fargo had received multiple warnings and was unable to um, stop the behavior of its loan officers. And so now they're in a federal lawsuit suggesting that there are actual agreements in place between Wells Fargo employees and these title companies for um, kickbacks. And so the CFPB is going to sue Wells Fargo, suggesting that they didn't have programs and procedures in place to prevent this from happening. Even once it was brought to their attention, they still couldn't control or stop it. So that's pretty wild. Um, sounds like there's going to be uh, a pretty big, it's going to prove to be a pretty big deal. Under a proposed consent order, Wells Fargo would be required to pay $11.1 million in redress, um, $24 million in civil penalties. So it could be some people getting some money back that were part of those transactions where they were kind of steered into a title company. And it just reminded me again that... Um, I think everybody could benefit from this. Uh, this is a real estate show, right? This is a mortgage show. This is a real estate show. And we track the economics and the economies that influence real estate and mortgage and these kind of things. Um, getting referred, like when somebody calls you up as a friend or a coworker or a sibling and says, hey, Dan, you know any good... Uh, auto body people. I had a car accident and I just, I'm looking for a, a reputable company. I don't want to be taken advantage of. Do you know anyone? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So you give me a referral and then I evaluate whether or not that's a, a good idea. One of the things is that in the mortgage business, um, getting those referrals, like it's easy for somebody to convince you to use their guy. And it happens, I think, most often with real estate agents, but um, and, and usually I think it comes from a good place, right? You know there's some loan officers in town that, that aren't, aren't super good at what they do. They're not very knowledgeable. They work for a bank that's got limited products and programs. And you want to keep your client from going to that guy just randomly. Likewise, if you don't do, if you don't influence this, you're a real estate agent and I don't try to tell you um, some good places for you to go get a loan, uh, what happens if you just go to like Quicken? And now I'm a realtor and my client is working with an online lender from Illinois and they're, you know, just too many real estate agents have been drugged down that path before that they don't even want to work with that client if they're going to work with a loan officer from Quicken oh you know over the the phone and internet from out of state and so all of a sudden it becomes this bigger deal that they start kind of pushing them into this direction of saying hey 
really get in touch with my guy, let him qualify you, let her figure out what your options are, but go to this person. And the CFPB is particularly interested in people shopping. I mean, they launched a new web app this last week trying to convince people that you don't shop enough. When you're out to get a home loan or a car loan or whatever kind of loan, you're not shopping. You're not out doing your homework, deciding what the competition has to offer. You're taking somebody's referral and just going to that person and you're doing it and you're overpaying. That's what the CFPB is saying, just unequivocally. They're just telling people you are not shopping and you're damaging yourself because of that. And so um, that's all a really interesting thing. I see it a little bit locally, frankly. I mean, I'll, I'll, I don't like the, like, I'll not name names. I don't like it when a builder in town builds a housing project and then has a preferred lender where their buyers in that project are forced to use the preferred lender. And that happens here in basically every new housing tract. I learned the other day, I'm doing loans for a few different people that are buying in one of the new tracks in San Luis. And I was told by them um, that the the other lender that I am doing the loans for the only people that aren't using the preferred builder, the preferred builder's lender. And interestingly enough, they get a $3,000 credit if they use the builder's lender. And if they use me, they do not get that credit. So they're incented financially to go to that person. And I sit here wondering, why does the CFPB continue to allow this? If you're concerned and want people shopping, why are you allowing the builder to pay you, the consumer, directly a $3,000 fee for using the lender to just be a captive audience to the whole crew there? That is not a practice that is going to result in you know, fair, open market um, buyers getting multiple quotes and, and finding out the most competitive option for themselves. They're not. And what's sad about it is, you know, the reason I'm doing those three loans, um, one of them is a close friend of mine and just is familiar with the loan business and knows better. So came to me and said, hey, here's the deal that they offer me. And we he shows me the deal they get with a $3,000 credit. Um, it's like that. It's like the ring at Mervyn's. Mervyn's is out of business now, huh? We'll say Kohl's because it's all the same. They're in the same building, in fact. But you ever go in Kohl's over here and look at their, like, you ever see the jewelry counter? Sure. Yes. Every $2,000 ring is on sale for 900 bucks. So, and it's always that way. So it's like they're going to make you think it's a great deal. And I think it's because they're marketing to the impulse buyer. But the reality of it is that place is not selling diamonds for half of their value. If they were wholesalers would go buy them there and then put them into their reef tail outfit for the normal price and sell them. The fact of the matter is those are $700 diamonds being made to make you think they're worth two grand and selling them to you for 900. Same thing in the mortgage transaction. Let me give you a $3,000 credit. What you don't see is they're charging you $5,000 more to give you a $3,000 credit. And you sit back and say, well, if you're going to get a $3,000 credit from this builder, and you're not, if you go to Central Coast Lending, clearly I'm going to go work with the builder's lender, right? Three grand. You're not going to give me three grand. Nobody else gave me three grand. Jim, was last time somebody just gave you 3000 bucks? Uh, never. 
If I told you there was a line you could <laughs> I mean, wait in today to get 3000 bucks, would you wait in the line? I'd be leaving this building right now. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. You shut off these mics. You, I'll show you real quick how to, and I'd be out of here. Yeah, and you know what? I probably, I probably would, too. Yeah. We'd but be this, done with the show. We'd be we'd have forty minutes of dead air, and we'd go collect our twelve grand, <laughs> right? And then we'd do your nine grand yeah. between the three of us, and then we'd decide what we want to do with exactly. nine thousand bucks. We'd there have a is. heck of an evening. Might take yeah. a Learjet to Vegas and party down. Possibly. The reality of it here is that these consumers, and it's happening right here. When you get down to it and you compare them, that credit is like a credit against a marked up deal, and it's not a good deal. Um, that frustrates me that that's still happening here. And this is this is kind of what the CFPB is after with this Wells Fargo deal. They're, they had a captive audience and their clients, and they had a referral agreement between another company. And um, so anyways, I'm really excited to think that that might stop at some point. And, um, you know, and then the other thing about the mortgage transaction, and I'll just say this about that is um, it ain't easy. When you go to get a home loan, I mean, we try to make it as easy as we possibly can, but we got to do a loan application and then you got to get us on average one month worth of your pay stubs, two months worth of your bank statements, two years worth of W-2s, two years worth of tax returns. If you're on social security, we need the 1099 for the last year. We need the award letter for the next year and we need a bank statement showing that it was deposited. It's like all these things and none of it's particularly hard. But it's like a bunch of busy work to run around and get all that stuff. And hopefully you kept it and kept it in a good, easy place. But then you're going to go give this all to a lender. And then the lender comes back and gives you, tells you whether or not you're qualified and what your interest rate and options are. How many times are you going to go do that? You're not. You're not going to go do that two, three, four times. And then if, you know, and Dan, you own a mortgage company, so you know this. When somebody just calls up and says, what's the rate today? For We get that phone call all the time. What's, what's your rate today for a 30-year loan? I can't even answer that question on the phone because, first of all, if I just try to flatter you and spur one out, I'm deceiving you. Um, and I don't want to do that. That's not a business practice for me. Um, your interest rate depends on your credit score, depends on your equity. It depends on your property type. It depends on your past credit history. It depends on a variety of factors that if you know all of them, we could probably give you an accurate quote. But if you don't, then we need to do a quick interview with you to try to get to the bottom line of what it is that you're after so that we can give you an accurate expectation. Because imagine this. Somebody calls you and says, what's your lowest rate today? Um, yesterday, my lowest rate on a 30-year fix was 3.25%, okay? So I can just say that, 3.25. And then they call all the other companies in town, and everybody else gives them their rate. And then they call me back, and they okay, you won. You're 3.25. I'm ready to get it. Right on. Let's get it. And then we get in there, and they got a mobile home. You knucklehead, you can't do that. And if you had told me you were calling about a mobile home... You know, but see, I'm the professional. So when you call me asking for a quote, it's my job to make sure that I'm giving you accurate information. So I need to ask you, what kind of property do you have? How long have you owned it? All these things, right? What do you owe? How much is it worth? All these things to get to the fair quote thing. And that's a pain in the butt. So when you couple that with the $3,000 incentive, this is a this is like the the playground for ripping people off. 
and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to a day where um, the average consumer is a little bit smarter about that. <laughs> and it's not, and it's not going to come because the CFPB made a more substantial website convincing people that they're paying too much because they don't shop. That's not where it's going to happen. Um, I like to think our show is helping to some degree. At least the listeners of this show know that you're going to get a, a good deal or a better deal if you go out and find out what people's profit margins are. Because in the end of the day, that that is what it is. And that's what everybody needs to realize is that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac set the pricing criteria. They say if it's a single-family residence, you don't have to charge them anything. If it's a condo, charge them three-quarters of a point. If it's a duplex, charge them a half a point. If it's a triplex, charge them a point and a quarter. Those things are levied from the top. Then what changes is, well, how much do you charge for underwriting, Bob? Okay, 800 bucks. Good. How about you, Joe? 700 bucks. This guy's cheaper. But then what's the profit margin? Well, Bob built three points into his interest rate, and Jim only did two. Jim's a way better deal than Bob, but is you know he's trolling you on a hundred dollar less underwriting fee. So, if you're in a position where you're shopping, I'll just say this: um, I would, if it were me, and I was in a town where I knew nobody, and then doing a mortgage transaction where I, I didn't have the knowledge I have. Here's what I would do: get a good faith estimate from a lender. When they put it in writing, then they have to honor it, okay? So get a good faith estimate from a lender about your scenario, your property type, your credit score, your equity, all your items that's for you. And then you take that by mail, email, fax, or in person to other lenders and say, can you beat this deal? And that's a great way to shop. And if you guys are looking at refinancing or if you're buying in one of the new housing tracks if you're interested in making sure that you're not being ripped off or taken advantage of bring us your good faith estimate we love to look at them and um as you could imagine like i just said beginning of the show we worked like 10 to 12 hour days every day this week eating at the desk it's not my desire just to get another loan today um, I'm not just out here just trolling for extra business, but if you're in a position where you're about to get a loan, um, by all means, check in with us. We get calls even on the show here every once in a while. People are like, I've been listening to your show for years, so thank you. And I'm in the middle of a loan with Quicken, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm having this problem. And I'm always like, wow, so when you listen, you're not really actually listening that much. Um, but yeah. If you are inclined to call Quicken or use Wells Fargo because you bank there, um, find out what their offer is and let us take a look at it and see if there's something that we could do for you. Uh, that's that's what we do. Kind of related to what you're talking about, next week um, we're going to have a, a comprehensive article on our website, posted to our website about APR and what an APR is the document that it that it's provided on which is the truth in lending it's another great document i think that combined with the good faith estimate right. are your two most important tools to shop a mortgage the apr um, we're going to define it tell you what kind of fees are uh, you know included in that apr calculation and it it's really 
um, designed to help you shop so that you can sift through the smoke and mirrors and really get down to what's this costing me. Right. So keep an eye out for that on the website next week. Yeah, because you know, on your good faith estimate, if you're the dude putting it together, you can call your fees whatever you want. Citibank calls it an application fee, and the application fee will cover your appraisal and credit report. <laughs> we have a, an appraisal and credit report fee, and we don't have an application fee. Um, somebody has a processing fee, another person calls it an admin fee, there's an underwriting well, and some, fee or some whatever. Some people waive fees, but the rate's higher. And, right. You know, so there's a lot of so different the, tricks that, that lenders can there's use. There's an awful lot of gameplay, and that's what the APR is for, is that at the end of the day, call it whatever you want and waive half of it, you know, mark the $2,000 loan down to 900 bucks. do whatever game you're going to play, and at the end of it, the APR tells us, at that, you know, if, if I hold an APR up from three different lenders, they're all for a 4% interest rate. And the APR on one of them is 4.2, on the other one is 4.1, and on the other one it's 4.05. I don't even need to look at the rest of the stuff. The one for 4.05 is cooking in the lowest amount of fees and doing the lowest gameplay with the loan. That's a good deal, you know. Um, and, and I'll tell you, there's APR is as simple as it is. It's sort of a complex thing when you involve mortgage insurance and other things like that. But um, in any case, those are things that um, we like doing with our clients. I love it when somebody comes to me with a, you know, a good faith estimate or whatever from Wells Fargo and I can show them how the APR and the, like these fees are missing because they, they haven't included your title and escrow fee yet or whatever. Um, but just to be able to kind of lay down and say, this is what it is and, and how to evaluate what the, the better deal is. And I'll even go so far as to say sometimes, and very rarely sometimes somebody shows up with a deal that I'm like, if you can actually really get that, go get it. That's a good deal. Um, and then, and sometimes it proves that, oh yeah, it did. He made a mistake. He did, he did price that investment property as an owner occupied home. And so they're back, but you know, that's, that's really the other thing is that sometimes you can get a great deal and sometimes it's a mistake and, uh, we're happy to help you figure out what you're looking at. <laughs> sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll be better by, a, you know, Apples to apples, same rate by about 500 bucks. And, you know, I've been working with that guy for for a month already. But, hey, you know what? I, I showed him what you were able to do, and I got $500 off. Hey, I, at I least didn't, you got a better deal. You're right about that. <laughs> that happens, too. But I thought what you were going to say, because sometimes somebody comes into me and they say, look, my brother-in-law is a loan officer, but he also works during the day at Cal Poly. And... He wants to do this loan for me. And I just, I don't know if he's on it. You know, I don't know if it's a good deal and I don't want to use him just because he's my brother. Okay. I can totally appreciate that's a touchy situation and I don't really want to rock the boat over it. And I'll work up an estimate. It's within 500 bucks and say, you know what? That deal that you're getting from, from Ryan's a good deal. Let it, let it play out. I mean, it's you're if it's 500 bucks more expensive, yeah, you're paying 500 bucks, but that's in the big picture. That's not a, a life changing amount of money. And it's certainly not enough to go cause a family riff at Thanksgiving over. Um, but just to get checked in on and know that, 
you know, just to have that confidence that you're not just getting taken for a ride because you're not shopping and being smart. Um, I think that there's some real value to that. We need to do commercial break. I uh, want to remind you guys, we actually have loan officers in the office today. Um, they're there working. If you guys want to call the office, 543-LOAN is that number, 543-5626. Give them a call. Uh, ask them about your scenario. Maybe get a quote, something to look at there. Just check in on it. 543-LOAN. Um, if you guys want to call and ask us a question, um, you can. We're going to take phone calls for the next half hour here. The number to the studio is 543-8830. We'll be back after a quick break here with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. Let me and my staff of mortgage experts help you buy your next home. We promise to close on time, on budget, with no surprises. Give Central Coast Lending a call today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, welcome back. Boy, oh boy. Man, it's nearly the end of January already. That's pretty wild. 2015 so far seems to be off to a pretty good start, though, I think. Pretty excited about it. 
so far, yeah, not bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wished it was wetter, though. I envisioned like a oh, lot of rain. And we now... were supposed to. Oh, they were saying we were going to get a lot of rain, and mm. it so far has not materialized. Not so much. Mm. Maybe it's coming. Hopefully, hopefully, I have one of those like really um, great marches where we get dumped on. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd take it. Yeah. Although I'll tell you what, when you're a homeowner, the rain's a lot more stressful. <laughs> I'm afraid that like. Your roof's gonna leak, or something's gonna, a tree's gonna break down through it. Those storms are a lot more enjoyable when it's just a rental. Um, Hey, so I wanted to talk a little bit about housing stuff too. Um, There was a a few numbers this week that came out, kind of give us a new little update on on what's going on with the housing economy. And um, so, first of all. Home applications for home loans are at a 17-month high for a second straight week. Um, You know, we were talking in the first hour about how busy we've been. Um, Refinance applications have jumped more than 22%. It's plenty busy. Um, And so check in on home stuff. What's going on over in the homes column? Um, So the good news is, is that home prices in November... Uh, this is the FHFA, the Federal Home Finance Agency Authority. What is it? Federal Housing Finance Authority. Man, I always get that one wrong. I should start writing it out when I just put the abbreviation <laughs> into my notes. Um, home prices for November were better than expected, 0.8% in the positive, giving a year-over-year Prices are up 5.3% and are close to their April of 2000 peak. So that's pretty cool. Um, Whenever we talk about these home price index, right, you got like Case Shiller. There's different little measures now. We truly as kicking one out. All these different companies have got one. I'll tell you what I like about the FHFA one um, that's different than all the others. FHFA is um, plugged into the software systems that are Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's automated underwriting engines. And when appraisal reform happened a few years ago, one of the cool things about it is the appraisers were all made to use a a common... So, you, you know, yeah, they had a definition of what the difference in condition was between good or excellent or, or better than good or whatever. Um, but now they're all using specific terms in specific fields. And, and the importance of that is that it, it can be imported into the computer system and then made part of the valuation. So what I'm telling you is every single refinance transaction that happens now with Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, that data from the appraisal is being captured into the database and it's able now to not only track what's happening in home values regard regarding the purchase prices, right? Because that's when you look at Case Shiller, they pull public records about the homes that are selling. And yeah, that's a big part of what homes are worth today is what they sell for. However, the the appraisals for all those refinances have some valuable information in them too. So this is the only home price index that takes into consideration the millions of appraisals that are happening every month. Um, so that being factored in there, these uh, this index suggests that prices year over year are up 5.3%. 
And that's pretty cool. And then additionally, um, and because is not that's what we're after, right? Appreciation of three to five percent. So, and I'm going to go ahead and say here that if you think back to the prior November, that was when tapering was just about underway. We certainly knew it was coming. We were in the fourth quarter. We had um, months of the higher interest rates. I mean, a year ago today, interest rate was about four and a half percent for a thirty-year fixed. So seeing that today closer to 3.625, um, see rates a lot lower. It's nice to see that in that whole period here that home values have actually done pretty well year over year. Um, and then additionally, there's a read, too, about housing starts and building permits. This, this factor um, kind of giving us an idea of what tomorrow brings as far as houses that are being built, but then also equally importantly, permits that are being pulled for house starts that are some cases a year or two or three down the road. Um, starts were up 4.4%. That's the highest level in over six years right there. So that's actually breaking ground to put sticks in the dirt there and build a house. That number hitting its highest mark in six years uh, I'm going to go on and say that's a that's a great metric right there. That's good news for everybody. Um, permits were a little bit of the fly in the ointment here, um, minus 1.9%. And I'll tell you what, that when you read past the headline there, single family permits being pulled were four and a half percent up. So that's a that's a good metric. Um, Multifamily was down almost 12%. That's always volatile. Yeah, and multifamily has been really strong for the last several years. Because rents have been increasing and they know so many people that can't qualify to buy or don't want to buy or whatever will go rent. So they've been building condos and apartment complexes. Yeah, so that's, I mean, the the demand, as we've seen with the, the, the buying frenzy that's occurred over the last years in the single family sector, um, the demand is really high, still remains high. And to see the permits is, is good because now the building's going to start to catch up. Groundbreaking for single-family homes is now at its highest level um, in seven years. And you know, today the front page of the newspaper had a, a picture of, of framed-out houses in Paso Robles, a new development. There's ads all throughout the newspaper for new developments um, that are starting to go on. And these homes, you know, the, the this this place in Paso, I think it's called the Cove, said that there are. Um, 16 units that are up for sale 13 of them are already in escrow yeah. not even completed there's some homes in pismo beach that are under construction too and they they had put in the infrastructure years and years ago mm -hmm. over by um near fourth street that okay area. um and now they're building those homes out it's pretty exciting um, since we started Mortgage Matters years ago, I've, I've always made it known that I'm the son of a builder. I grew up, you know, being raised by a tradesman and everything that comes along with that. And I've long known that this recession is not over until we're building homes again. And all the dudes with work boots are getting them dirty every day. That's how we'll know that the recession's over. So I said music to my ears to see that we have that, those things finally going on. Um, in, we also got a reading this last week about the existing homes. So not this this metric about building permits and housing starts talk just to new homes. Um, 
There's a metric kept for the existing home sales too. These are homes that have been previously occupied. So the sellers are selling their house for all of the reasons you sell a house. And um, so we track this one too. The home sales for the month of December are reasonable, but still a little bit, um, all the headlines point back to low participation by first time home buyers. This is like the new drag that's being every single month, no matter what the data is that comes out. The problem is, is that the first time home buyers aren't coming out to buy these homes and, you know, kind of going back full circle to where we started this show. The biggest reason that's ever cited in this is the student loan debt that the first time home buyers can't qualify for home loans because they're stressed out about their student loan payments, which um, so far the biggest one I've seen on my desk that was for a non-doctor, um, I got a guy in this week where the student loan payments are $900 a month, unable to do uh, a consolidation or anything because they were um, like some kind of loan that you can't consolidate, though it was a student loan for an accredited school fascinating but anyway th that part of the first time the first time home buyers are not doing what they're supposed to be doing which is keeping those uh keeping the the existing homes selling keeping the the metric up i mean it's supposed to be that of 30 to 40 percent of the new home uh, or existing home sales are by first time home buyers and and we've been below that we're cruising in the 20 percent range you know this 25, 27, 29. December was actually 29%, but this is supposed to be up higher, you know, somewhere 35, 40% of the purchases should be first time home buyers. So interesting. But um, so all in all, it does, it sounds like housing is doing okay. Um, if you're looking for the shot in the arm, which a lot of the, the realtor advisory boards are, they're they're saying you got to get that first time home buyer back to the table. And the big barrier for them is the student loans. You got to figure out how to address that and help that be more affordable. It's unreasonable to think that somebody that just got out of college can afford to pay $900 a month on a student loan. In addition to housing costs. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's expensive. Uh, I have student loans still hanging on. Um, and primarily because I, I refinanced mine at such a low rate that it, I'm like, I don't care. But I pay 200 bucks a month for my student loans than I have been for a long time. I think they're paid off when I'm like 60 or something. So that's cool. Um, I'll be I'll be attempting to consolidate my student loans into the loan. If my kids go to college, into the loans that I'll be taking for them to go to college. Maybe they'll just let us have a family plan. Like the cell phone thing. You just, when your kid gets there, you just add their debt to your student loan debt. Um, you know, and I don't have any credit card debt or other like of those looming things, but I have this student loan thing. Um, and I guess I'm not ashamed about it. I'm talking about it on the radio. Um, like I said before, Mel and I got married. We were young. We were, we got married before college and we put ourselves through college and, um, use some student loan to make that happen. That's a, I don't know, most people that go to college come out with student loans. Yeah. I random thought here on the student loans. I know, you know, I didn't have a lot of student loans. I had, I had a good chunk. 
I never consolidated. I, I got a, a, a good paying job out of college and I had the opportunity to pay it off early. But as a young person prior to owning a home, I really felt that that student loan, it was affordable for me with my housing expense still. I felt that it was a it was an installment loan, which carries more weight than the credit cards and things like that as far as building credit. So I chose to continue making a monthly payment for longer. You know, I, I had the opportunity. I could have probably just paid it off and been, been done with it. But I thought I would use it as a credit builder for me um, when I was young so that I would have more depth to my credit with sure. with more important trade lines than just revolving debt. So I don't know. There's a lot of negative things to be said about student loans and and you just found the silver lining loan. yeah but i you know i was fortunate to have a little bit of contribution from parents and stuff yeah. too so yeah you know and i think all by the time was all said and done like we both went to cuesta and the cuesta stuff is inexpensive obviously i mean you can get with any kind of a you know if you're if you are struggling which we were at the time it was you got like a a bog waiver for tuition. It was pretty affordable. And then my, my time spent at Cal Poly therefore was abbreviated. I was there. I, I was one of Motivated. the people, uh, <laughs> man, it was on my dime, dude. Yeah. Every, every quarter I took some extra units just to get out of paying tuition for another quarter on the other side. But all in all, when we finished, you know, it was, I was pushing about 50 something, 55 or something thousand dollars in student loan debt. And, that's kind of a lot of money. I uh, grant I see people driving fifty five thousand dollar cars, so for them, I guess it's not. But um, well, you know, it, it, we were young and broke, and we consolidated and been making payments on it. But the thing is, is it's deductible, and it is um, it's not that much money. But the, it's kind of annoying. It, it goes on for a long time. Well, and in addition to student loan debt being a drag on on the first time home buyers. There's been a lot of noise lately about the millennial generation and, and their lack of, of participation in in buying homes at, at a young age. And and some of that has to do with just, you know, every generation's a little bit different. And this the millennial generation, what we're seeing is that households are forming at an older age than they have in, in earlier generations and past generations. So just the you know, rather than buying your first home and forming your household, because usually the household formation occurs, you know, you, you find your, your companion and m maybe before or after you, you start to have a family, that's when you buy your first home. When people are waiting longer to make that, um, that decision in life to, to form that household, the, the decision to be put to buy a house is being put off too. It's being sure. put off into the thirties rather than the mid to late twenties. So that's causing some of that. That's a factor, I guess, too. Yeah, definitely. Um, if some, by the way, if somebody came to me today at 20 years old and said they were getting married, I'd say you're crazy. <laughs> and, and even then when we got married, there were plenty of people saying we were crazy and they were right. I think. Um, but Anyways, we're still we are still happily married and everything, but that that's a big part of it. I mean, today it seems like anymore that if you get married even in your twenties, you're in a pretty big rush. And then plenty of people are having their first kid in their thirties, late thirties, forties. We see it. It yeah. seems like a the new change later is to to start all of that stuff later on. And yeah, I agree. That's when you 
you're you're going to buy your house or attempt for a little bit more stability. I mean, some of the friends we have that are married and having kids but don't yet own homes, they're like now you start to get concerned about, well, before like if the landlord played some game with the lease and we had to move quick cuz they sold the house or something, at least it was just the two of us, but now there's like a baby coming and it's time to remove that that potential volatility you start thinking about schools you start thinking yeah Yeah. about that stability in life the other thing with with the millennials is the 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 jobs they get are different now they don't all have to go to an office they can there's a lot more telecommuting a lot more home office type stuff and and a lot more um, ability to work on the road so there's that that opportunity to travel while still maintaining your connection with your office and and that's the thing you hear with a lot of the, the younger generation is that, um, you know, I, I want to still have that freedom to move around. I don't want to, you know, it's it's not like our parents' generation where they grew up in the town they were born in and they were going to settle down in that same town. There's, it, It's just life's changing a little bit. So I, I wonder, you know, you talk about what's normal for first-time homebuyers is to participate at about a, a 40% clip. And I, I wonder if that's really... if it's going to ever return to those levels going forward or if the new norm is to have it more around you know 25 to 30 percent of of all purchases being first-time home buyers yeah i don't know maybe we're just in this transition period where it's going to take a little bit of time for the millennials to get to that age where they're forming households and then you know it'll start to just catch back up perhaps um It'll probably just take some government stimulus, though. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you laughing? I mean, hey, Europe's doing it. You just throw money at the problem, and that solves it, right? Do you remember how much interest was created in housing when the government gave the $10,000 tax credit for first-time homebuyers? How about the auto credit? All kinds of people were buying cars. (laughs) (laughs) I remember some funny jokes about the auto credit, but yeah. Yeah. People love their deals. Get a deal. <laughs> People love deals. Oh, I I got to tell you, I'm a sucker for a deal too. I I love even at the grocery store or whatever, just buying the the things that I'm not brand loyal to most things. I'll buy things that are just on sale, and um, I love getting a good deal. In fact, I found myself before buying things that I don't need just because it's a great deal, you know. My Yahoo email account, all it's full of is great deals. <laughs> There's great deals everywhere. Maybe <laughs> Retailers know people like deals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and we've proven it through stimulus, too. Yeah. Anything, anything. Would you be upset, though, if the government rolled out a for 2015 a $10,000 tax credit for first-time homebuyers? I mean, I'm in the mortgage business, so it wouldn't be bad for me. But I'm, I'm not a first-time homebuyer, so... It, that credit. If I were not in the mortgage business, what was it, it really impact? What me. was it? Two thousand nine, though. Was that about the time? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good credit, man. <laughs> that was a really good credit. Because it was a. It was a, it was credit, a credit, not a deduction. Yeah. A credit. If you got all the way down to the end of your taxes and you were going to get back two thousand bucks, if you had bought a house that year and that credit, you would get instead of getting back two thousand, you would get back twelve thousand dollars. That was a real deal, man. If you owed ten grand, that ten thousand dollar credit would just negate it. Maybe the government just needs to do that some more. The ten grand probably doesn't even matter to the government anyway, right? No, they're just flush with cash. Or 
Who cares? It just put it on the the company visa. Yeah, I don't know how you get the I don't know how you get the first time home buyers, the millennials to to come out and buy real estate besides them just realizing that you know and and this is this is the th- if you're listening right now millennials, here's some of my old man um old man logic here for you. Let's just say that you buy a house today, as say without a down payment. If you buy a house in Slow County without a down payment today, a pretty reasonable like entry level home somewhere with no down payment, you're gonna be paying like twenty five hundred bucks a month. Gonna, that's a good round number. Um, so twenty years from now, how much is your mortgage payment gonna be on that house if you get a thirty year fix just doing the whole thing? Probably gonna be about twenty five hundred. Yeah, right around there, about twenty five hundred bucks. <laughs> um, what's your rent gonna be in twenty years? Today, I mean, <laughs> to rent that same house that costs you twenty five hundred to buy today, it's about a two thousand twenty two hundred dollar a month rent payment on that house. But how about in twenty years? Probably more. You think yeah. four grand? Uh-huh. Oh, no, you said you moved here in ninety eight. That was a Getting close to 20 years yeah, ago. Yeah, we figured things have tripled in about 15 years. So every five years, things... Wait. All right. 20... It's almost been 20 years, and, and yeah, it's... It it's gone... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you start... I was telling one of my kids the other day, someone said, man, I haven't seen that movie in 20 years. And they're like, oh, geez. I said, now I'm all of a sudden I'm in the club that can talk about things that they haven't done in 20 years. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that let's just say... It doesn't go crazy, and it just doubles your rent. So now, in twenty years, the rent's going to be four thousand to forty five hundred. Imagine the guy that bought the house, and it's still twenty five hundred bucks. And then here's where it gets really sexy. Let's go twenty years down the road from there, and it doubles again. The rent's eight grand. Um, I know that sounds crazy. Who's going to pay eight grand? But hey, dude, minimum wage is going to be like two hundred bucks an hour. So. Uh, whatever with inflation all the wild stuff 40 years from now that's probably real um but look at the dude that bought the house back in 2015 he hasn't made a mortgage payment in 10 years your rent's eight grand so there's your story millennials if you don't think that's true go look at history everybody always looks at the grandparents wealth and said oh well they they had opportunity nobody else had nonsense they sucked Mm -hmm. it up and bought their houses and in time that's where wealth is accumulated and i don't know honestly i don't believe in my heart that that is being emphasized as an important thing to these millennials because i see them with you know i i see it every day these everybody like their car is more important than their house how expensive is your car or you know going on that grand vacation or whatever the whatever the thing is about where all the emphasis is but it's not on delayed gratification and accumulating wealth over time so <laughs> to reinforce that point i i sat down with my good buddy craig darnell at blakesley and blakesley talk about financial planning a little bit um and I, I just had a, a question for him so that I could start to start to plan my retirement. Because I don't get a pension. I don't have deferred comp. You know, <laughs> I have to invent my own retirement plan, whether it be, you know, acquiring real estate that's going to give me passive income or contributing to an IRA. 
So I threw out a nice round number. If I don't want to just simply deplete assets to pay for my retirement, but I want to just have a stream of income to maintain, say, you know, today, if, if I'm comfortable, let's say, and this is just a hypothetical, if I'm comfortable at $10,000 a month of income, what do I need to make? What kind of income do I need to have in 30 years to maintain that same lifestyle, that same comfort level? And he said, oh, well, you know, every, every decade, you know, it's been proven for, for eight to plus decades that inflation's about 3%. So if you run those numbers out, you know, in 30 years, you need to make 25, it was like 24,000 and change per month. Which sounds crazy. Which is the equivalent of $10,000 per month today. Right. That's insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot of money. But I'll tell you what. Part of your thing is that you're basing these things off of what your circumstances are today with your cash flow and your payments and all that, and you're making some mortgage payment. The beauty of it is, is that in 30 years when you're retired, you're not going to have the house payment anymore. True, true. And that that is one of those critical pieces, and that's why I'm encouraging people to remember that that's a big part of it and that's how you retire and you know what we're running out of time i wanted to just say a few more things the headlines have been filled lately about the fha reducing their mortgage insurance okay there are people that we're working with right now that they're refinancing to get rid of their mortgage insurance and the savings on not having the mortgage insurance is allowing you to shorten your loan term sometimes as much as 15 years so there's another opportunity there is if you have an interest rate that's higher than 4% or you have mortgage insurance, get in touch with us so that we can show you some strategies to pay your house off sooner. It's not just about saving money, right? Everybody would like to have another 200 bucks left in the savings account at the end of the month that they didn't give to their mortgage company, but... That's not that's not everybody's goal. Some people would like to pay their house off nine years sooner than if they had done nothing at all here or had that 200 bucks a month. So regardless of what camp you're in, if you've got a rate over 4% or you have mortgage insurance or you're interested in figuring out how to pay your loan off sooner so you can retire sooner or just be done with you know, having that big nut to crack every month. Those are the kind of people that we're looking for. Uh, we want to talk to you. You can find us this week at the office. Uh, 543 loan rings all of our offices. That's 543-5626. Or go on the web. It's centralcoastlending.com. Poke around. See what we're about. You can uh, look at the calculators, check out the programs, review tips about credit, all that kind of stuff. Call us at 543-5626 so we can help you accomplish your goals. Guys, thanks for listening today. We'll be back next week with another episode of Mortgage Matters. Be safe. <laughs>